For all your fantasy football needs, check out the Ringer Fantasy Football Show with me, Danny Kelly, along with Danny Heifetz and Craig Horlbeck. That's the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com slash FYC. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. It is Thursday, November 9th. It's over. As of 12.01 a.m., the actors, SAG-AFTRA, they are no longer on strike. The union announced that its negotiating committee has voted unanimously to accept a tentative deal with the AMPTP, the Studio and Streamer Coalition. It will end the work stoppage that has lasted 118 days. The deal now goes to the national board, which has to okay it, and then to the full 160,000 members for a vote, which is basically a formality. It's great news. Together with the Writers Guild walkout that was settled a few weeks ago, scripted production in Hollywood has basically been shut down due to strikes for more than six months. Pretty incredible. Continuing TV shows will be first to start back up, probably a couple weeks for that to happen. Then movies that were shut down or needed reshoots. Then the new stuff. Most of it won't actually get going until January. So the question is, what did the actors actually get here? The full tentative deal won't be revealed until after the national board vote. But the union put out a statement tonight calling it a $1 billion deal with gains in wages, streaming, maybe most crucially, AI. They called it a, quote, deal of extraordinary scope. The AMPTB, in its own statement, said the deal gives sag after quote, the biggest contract-on-contract gains in the history of the union. Not bad. To take us through the deal, behind the scenes of the tough negotiations that led to it, we've got Duncan Crabtree Ireland back on the show. He's the national executive director and lead negotiator for SAG-AFTRA. He was sitting right next to Fran Drescher, the SAG president, throughout most of these negotiations. If you remember, Duncan came on the show when the SAG strike began, arguing why it was necessary. Now, almost four months later, he's back to break it down, talk about the end of the strike, what the actors got, a few of the things they didn't, and what the post-strike Hollywood might look like. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Duncan Crabtree Ireland, the National Executive Director and the Lead Negotiator for SAG-AFTRA. Duncan, congratulations. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. It's good to be here with you. Yeah, it's, uh, well, I guess we don't have the details yet, but we'll get into the, the basic points of this deal. One thing that struck me when... I looked at the timing and the fact that it's been six months of strikes in Hollywood. Largely, not only, but the AI issue has become sort of the dominant issue of these strikes. And I was thinking back to the panel that I did with you at CES in January. Yes. And, yes. and you know, that sort of set the table. I was at, It was funny because at this time last year, you reached out and we're like, oh, we're doing this thing at CES. Do you want to moderate a panel? And I was like, 
AI, like what, why is SAG so hung up on AI? Like, is that going to be a thing? And lo and behold, here we are. It <laughs> definitely is a thing. It's definitely <laughs> a thing. But it's just yeah. funny because nobody was really talking about it this time last year. But you guys, you definitely were laying the groundwork. Well, you know, I think so. We really felt like it was going to be important. I, I think maybe even we didn't realize quite how important and how soon uh, that was gonna that was gonna play out. But yeah, I mean, we've been working on it for a couple of years in in earnest, and uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that we had the chance to have those conversations at CES because it certainly, uh, I think, kicked off a process where everyone started talking about AI, and rightly so. Right, and I definitely learned a lot and just sort of went from there. But so first question, what the heck took so long? Why did this take as long as it took? Well, that's a great question. And I don't I don't know if there's any one person who actually knows the answer to that question. I mean, from my point of view, could we have reached this deal sooner? Uh, we should have been able to reach this deal sooner. But I guess that's probably the story of almost every strike, which is when you get to the end of that process and say, why couldn't everyone sort of get on board with this? I think part of it is Sometimes people have to really test their leverage. Sometimes people are agreeing to things they genuinely don't want to agree to. Collective bargaining often results in, in an outcome that isn't everything you want, but it turns out to be what you are ultimately willing to agree to in order to move the process forward. So um, I think it's probably pieces of all of that. Um, but I, I have to say, Matt, I really believe that what we've been fighting for, for our members, is is absolutely worth what we have all been through in the sense that making a deal on lesser terms uh, earlier in this process on the terms that were offered to us before is not something we could have done. So take us in the room. What broke the stalemate? Was there one thing that you said, if we get this, it's a yes, when you get right down to the end? When you get right down to the end, we, we were still having serious reservations about where some specific parts of the AI picture were as recently as, you know, a day, a day and a half ago. And there have been developments that I think really were prodded by everyone's desire to get the industry back to work. That included some last minute moves uh, on the part of the studios and streamers, combined with some real efforts on our part to bridge the gap. I mean, there, it was reported that it was this issue of higher earning actors having their images scanned and potentially used in subsequent movies. Was that the issue? No, that was not the issue at the end. Really, the, the issue at the very end had to do with how to address the potential use of generative AI to create what we would call synthetic fakes, what other people might call synthetic performers. And what level of consent could our members expect and what level of notification and a right to bargain could the union expect when uh, that type of situation transpires. So it's using existing performances to model out fake actors. You Correct. wanted consent right. and payment for each of those uses. We wanted rights of consent for the performers who would be used to create those kinds of synthetics. And we also wanted to make sure that the union would have notice when those types of synthetic performer circumstances occurred and that there was a right to negotiate for compensation. So those were pieces which were not all in place until today. And you got that. We have provisions in each of those areas as of now. Yes. 
you say you have provisions, but is it what you asked for or did you have to concede a little well, bit and let them experiment a little? <laughs> Look, it's not drafted the way we originally drafted it. Uh-huh. So, you know, is it what we asked for? It's not exactly what we asked for, but it is substantially addressing the concerns that we have. And I think that's, you know, that's part of the story of these negotiations, which is you can't just hold on your drafting, no matter which side you're on. If you're on the right. studio side or if you're on the union side, you have to be willing to find ways to to create creative solutions that just actually address your needs, even if it may not be your first choice of the way you do that. Well, that gets to that second issue that I wanted to talk about, which is the streaming participation, the bonus for yep. high-performing yep. streaming, because there was a proposal that you guys are said to have put forth of a way to calculate that, namely getting a piece of revenue that was generated by the streaming services that the streamers really pushed back on and did not want to let the guild into its revenue calculations and preferred to do something more like what the writers got, which is essentially a bonus that you get if you write a show or movie that is viewed by more than 20% of a streaming services subscribers in the US. Did you guys ultimately go with what the writer's formula was, or did you stake out your own formula? Well, first of all, let me say, when you say that they pushed back on the idea of attaching something to their revenue stream, that's like the understatement of the century. <laughs> they, they, mean, that, that, that's a non-starter, a get out of here, you know, leave the room. I can't even convey to you how um, adamantly they insisted that that would never, ever, ever happen. Yeah. Did anyone wag their finger? <laughs> oh, uh, beyond the finger. Do they yeah. do they insult Fran's uh, plushy doll? <laughs> no, I don't remember any insults in that in that okay. regard all right. at all. But I all do right. um yeah, they were very clear that they were never going to agree to something that was attached to revenue. So we decided to pivot on that basis. And you know, that led to a series of different ideas that had been based on feedback we got from them. Ultimately, the way we're measuring the money that's on the inbound side of that really is driven by a formula that is similar to the Writers Guild uh, bonus structure. Mm-hmm. But the way that money is distributed is going to be different uh, than in the Writers Guild structure because we, I think, see the for our members the right way to distribute that being a bit different. And so, um, so you know, is it a pool? I heard that there was going to be a pool, and the debate was over whether the union was going to get to essentially administer this pool of revenue that would be created by the bonus. Is that accurate? There's a hybrid system where some of the money is going to be paid uh, directly using a formula that's established in the collective bargaining agreement, and mm-hmm. other portion of the money is going to be managed through a jointly trusted fund, similar to ones we have in several other of our collective bargaining agreements. So, um, so yeah, so it's going to be a new thing in this contract. It's not something that that anybody else is doing at this point. And we really feel like it's going to provide the kind of flexibility that will let us distribute that money in the fairest and most equitable way possible. But I guess the other thing I would just say is it is not a direct revenue attachment. That's true. Mm -hmm. But as you know, the formula that's used even for the Writers Guild bonus program, it's based on their residual structure. And their residual structure is, of course, based upon the subscribe subscriber levels of the of the streaming companies, right? Mm-hmm. The platform subscriber yep. levels. And then also on the viewership data that's now going to be provided 
in that collective bargaining agreement. So it's not a revenue attachment, but it is a subscription and viewership-based program because ultimately subscriber level and viewership determines who gets paid and and how much really. So And you're going to get access to that data? How is that going to work? The yes. transparency issue that I you know, stand on a soapbox about all the time. Are you getting <laughs> access to yeah. this data and who is going to get to look at it? Yes, we are getting access to the data. We're getting it along the same lines that the Writers Guild uh, okay. agreement provides for. And is that a perfect answer to transparency? No. Is it a huge advance in transparency? I don't think anyone can say it's not. I mean, it clearly is compared to where everything's been in the past. Oh, well, all this is new. I mean, yeah. just the fact yeah. that you've established this new residual scheme, that is a win. That's new. Assuming that it delivers something beyond what you currently get, that has to be called a win. I think so. And I think the transparency piece, you know, that may be something we revisit again after we see how it works mm-hmm. over the next two and a half to three years. But yeah, it's the, it's a similar transparency provision to the writer's guild provision. Okay. So Joe Blow on a show who's a series regular on a Netflix show that everyone and his mother knows is a massive hit. What can that actor expect to get from that show being a hit? Well, I think that's a bit more detail than I can go into right now, Matt. No, you don't have to give me dollar amounts, but like, is it, you know, 20% more than they make for an episode or a season? Is it 5%? Like, what kind of a bump would you see as an actor? Well, let's just say it's significant. Our national board hasn't even seen all the terms of this agreement yet, so I'm not going to lay them all out uh, right now. I'm tempted. I am tempted. But let me just say it is a significant increase. But beyond the significant increase that somebody on a hit show like the one you're describing would get, Mm -hmm. I think it's also important to note, one of the things we explicitly wanted to do in this negotiation was to make sure that there was additional compensation for a wider range of Uh, of our members who work in streaming, not only the people on the most successful shows, but also other people as well. And so this uh, hybrid approach will actually provide for that, I think, in a meaningful way. And that's why, you know, our original proposal wasn't a success bonus, although I know a lot of people called it that. It was a revenue share. And yes, we're not attaching to revenue, but we are going to be helping to champion more sharing of money in the streaming space so that more actors can actually feel they have a sustainable living and feel like they can make it between seasons of these streaming shows they're on. Right. And not have to get three shows to make the same amount as they made on one show 10 years ago. That's the goal. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. 
When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. On another topic that you guys have cited, the basic wage increases. You say that you got above pattern minimum compensation increases, which essentially means you got more than what the Writers Guild and the Directors Guild got for the first year of the contract's basic wage increases. You were asking for 11%. We had reported at Puck that the ask was then down to 9% and the studios were offering 7 Is it safe to say you guys settled at 8 no, I, it's not safe to say that. Okay. And again, this is a detail that I probably will rather have us talk to our national board about first before we you know, publicly discuss it. But it is safe to say that it is uh, substantially above the so-called pattern. I Which think was for, 5%. Yeah. I mean, I think for us, that's meaningful for two reasons, at least. One being that we really want to make sure that our members have the impacts of inflation that's happened over the last couple of years accounted for in their compensation. And so we're attempting to do that. But also, we just don't subscribe to that pattern philosophy. And um, and that was a big issue. I mean, we had a lot of arguments with the with the AMPTP about that very issue. So I think... Well, it makes sense on their side. I'll, to be honest with you, it makes sense. Why do you feel that actors deserve more percentage-wise than other unions? Well, I guess I, I would frame it differently than deserve. I understand why you said deserve, but let me just say the economic structure for actors is very different than the economic structure for a writer or for a director. I mean, the the scale minimums, for example, are very different. The nature of the patterns of how they work are very different. We have a large number of people who are trying to survive and make a living on minimums and and employment patterns that are very very different than mm-hmm. writers Lower, and directors. Mostly. So my question, my question, yeah, my question to you would be, why would you think it should be the same? I mean, you know, it's sort <laughs> of like saying if you take a somebody who is making three x and someone who's making x, would the impact of inflation be the same on both of them? Not really, because the lower income level you exist at, the more impact inflation has on you because you're talking about basic necessities you have to pay for. There's not a lot of luxuries in there that are easily accounted for. So the bottom line is I'm not casting any aspersions on anybody else's uh, minimum increases. I think every union has every right to figure out the pattern of compensation uh, changes that really work out right for their members. I'm just saying for SAG-AFTRA and for our members, that pattern didn't work. And I'm very happy to say that we've been able to depart from it. And there's no like favored nations now where the AMPTP will have to go back to the other two above the line guilds and give them increases. That doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. But I mean, I also acknowledge that what one union does has ripple effects down. Sure. And they want it. I mean, to be honest, pattern bargaining benefits the studios. It mostly does. I mean, I'm sure there are some examples that could be given where it has benefited the unions at times. But I do think, especially in the area of minimums, pattern bargaining is designed to benefit the studios and the streamers. Right. You know, it's interesting that I feel like the frustration around town really started to set in in the past couple of weeks. I think there was an expectation, probably not 
really a rational expectation that the SAG negotiations would be shorter than the Writers Guild. And we went over all the contentiousness of the Writers Guild, and then we get to SAG, and they said, okay, yeah, they have some of their own issues. But for the most part, it's pretty similar. Like AI, they, you know, they have some specifics. But this took longer, and it started to get to people around town. And I was hearing it. I'm sure you were hearing it. Were there any special voices in your ear during this process that were influential, that, that you really listened to when you were approaching this, knowing that all the different stakeholders in this business were kind of hanging on your every move? Between Fran and myself and the rest of the negotiating committee, we were in contact with so many people in, in and outside of the industry all the time. I mean, all and- the lawyers and the agents and you know the studio heads of, that are not in the chair anymore. I mean, everyone seems to be saying that they were back-channeling to you. But what was effective? So many opinions. So many opinions, Matt. As well. I'm sure. Um, that's why I'm asking. And like, I started to hear it. From people like I'm saying, I'm telling him the time to close is now. The time to close is now, and he won't listen to me. Like that kind of stuff. Right. And I mean, I think I think anyone, you know, who put themselves in my position or in France's position would know. I mean, someone just sort of shouting that at you, that doesn't really do anything. That doesn't really help you. You know, the time to close is now. Well, you know, the time to close was July 12th, as far as I'm concerned. But you know, that didn't happen. And so the question was, how could we reach an agreement that our members could uh, accept, that our members could say, yeah, this is the fair deal that our team said we were going to achieve and that we're out here striking for. And so I listened to everyone who came to talk to me. There were certain people who had, you know, concrete suggestions or specific ideas. A lot of them didn't pan out. Some of them were actually quite helpful. The Clooney stuff. I mean, I know you guys were gracious about that, but when Clooney and Ben Affleck and Scarlett Johansson started having their own ideas of how to fix this, I mean, that's got to be frustrating. To be honest with you, Matt, to me, I didn't consider it frustrating. I was actually thrilled because the fact is it reflects the fact that these members of our union, they are members of our union, just like everybody else. You know, every time I went out on a picket line, someone would come up to me and give me an idea. And the only reason that nobody else knows that is because it didn't happen to be someone who the press was covering or who was famous to generate that level of attention. But that doesn't mean the idea was Well, no, but Clooney gave a trade interview to talk about his proposal. I mean, clearly the implication there was that I care about this union but I want to fix this problem because it seems like my leadership can't fix it. That was the impression I got from the Clooney stunt. I mean, you know, that could be, I guess, some people's interpretation of it. My experience in dealing with high-profile members is a lot of them just feel very comfortable talking publicly about things that maybe I wouldn't because I'm not, that's not my life experience. I don't live my life in the public eye in the way they do. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I think sometimes that's misinterpreted, but the truth is I thought that the offer that uh, he presented the the sort of idea of a dues increase to help try and offset things, you know, it, it doesn't really work in the framework of these negotiations, but it was obviously very generous and very well-intended. So I don't know why anyone should be mad about that. The way I see it is, uh, you know, it was an idea. It was out of the box. Unfortunately, it wasn't an idea that that itself could move the negotiations forward. But I didn't have any objection to that. And frankly, I don't have objections to members engaging with our union. That's what we're here for. Right. And the more engaged they are with us, the more they can help us achieve our goals. So to me, 
you know, I, I know it got its moment in, in, in like press attention and, mm-hmm. and it created maybe a little bit of drama, but in the big picture, uh, having all of our members of every type at every level in the industry engaged in supporting what we're trying to do is great. And I do feel that they were supportive of what we're trying to do then and now. So I never felt undercut by them. I felt I felt like this was engagement and ultimately support and flat out was told that directly by a bunch of them. I've known you a long time. You're kind of a low-key guy. You know, <laughs> you guys were at the center of this industry storm for a long time. The spotlight was really on you. And you got criticized. I mean, Fran especially got criticized. She was called unprofessional for bringing her doll to the negotiations. You know, she, all the studio whispers were out there saying, you guys are out of your league. And what's, you know, this is unprofessional. This is not a real negotiation. They said you brought up issues at the last minute that the studios either hadn't heard before or thought were resolved. How do you handle that while this is going on? Because you can't just ignore it. You had to read this stuff. You had to hear it. Man, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> no, stop, I mean, stop, stop. <laughs> no, I mean, obviously that kind of thing happens, but you also have to recognize that people are saying and doing those things for strategic reasons. Of course. And, and this that. is your this is your first strike as the leader of this union. You've been there a long time, but this is the first strike where you were at the helm and and in charge. All the different agendas, everything going. Did you ever say to yourself, maybe late at night, oh my God, like, what am I doing? What did I, where do we, where do we, where are we bringing this union in this industry? No, I, I really didn't. I mean, honestly, uh, yes, it's true. This is the first strike of uh, like this that I've been the NED during, but mm-hmm. this isn't my first contract. I've been the chief negotiator. Sure, that's of. true. We've negotiated a bunch of other contracts, our music agreements, our music video agreements, our Telemundo agreement, etc. So for me, I just feel like it's not always this intense, but there's always a bit of a maelstrom going on around you as you're doing this stuff because people care about it. Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, the in, the the impact on people that have nothing to do with this guild, I mean, $6.5 billion in lost economic activity is the estimate. I think that's low. So many people hurting. Your members hurting. I mean, all the lost wages that the members will never get back because of the episodes that just won't be shot of shows and movies that just aren't going to happen. You know, there are lots of people that that look at these gains and they're going to analyze when this deal comes out and they're going to ask whether this is worth it. Yeah, no, I understand that. And believe me, the the hurt that has been felt by people in our industry is the is pretty much the only thing that would keep me up at night about this because I knew from day one and I knew through this entire process that what we were fighting for was 100% justified and actually 100% reasonable as well. But yeah, I, it, it certainly weighs on anyone to know that people are out there suffering because they aren't able to work. And that really gave me a sense of urgency every day from the first day of our strike until today to get this done. Of course, it's not in my unilateral control. The studios and streamers have to do their part too. And ultimately, that happened. But I also do feel that this was not a negotiation that was only about money. So you can't actually weigh the economic harm that was caused against the gains in this contract and say, was it worth it or not? Because in particular, and it's not only AI, but AI is a great example of this. This is something that had to be dealt with now. 
I firmly believe, and no one will ever convince me that we weren't right about this, that this could not wait three years. This was not a situation where, okay, we'll just kind of leave loopholes that can undermine everything that our members do and their existence in this industry, and then just try to deal with that later. That wasn't something that could happen. Could the AI you know, gaps have been bridged sooner? I believe they could have been, but they weren't. And it wasn't due to any lack of effort or focus on it. It was due to really hard bargaining, to be honest with you, really, really hard bargaining by uh, the studios and streamers. And, you know, they that may be the right choice for them and their shareholders and the people that they um, report to or whatever. But from my point of view, what we wanted from the beginning up until what we wanted today was always just what was needed to make sure that our members could be confident that their place in this industry wasn't going to be gone by the time we got to the next round of bargaining. And how can you be confident on AI? I know this is a little bit esoteric here, but I look back to the 2007-2008 negotiation and all of the fuss about webisodes. Remember webisodes? Oh, I remember webisodes. Who was going to get paid what? on webisodes and everybody was freaking out on, you know, what if they did a lost webisode or a webisode of the office? And lo and behold, two years later, it's not webisodes, it's subscription streaming video that takes off. Video services, you know, made that essentially a moot negotiation. And here we are with AI. And I had a, a studio executive say to me yesterday, you know, check back in five years and see if all of this haggling and everything they're doing to protect the guild against AI, if any of that matters, or if the technology is going to advance in a way that's not just fast, but more importantly, is different than we all think it's going to advance and essentially make this an irrelevant negotiation. Is that is that a fear of yours? I suppose that's a possibility, but I, it's not really a fear of mine because I yeah. What's the alternative? Do nothing. Well, right. <laughs> a, that's that's true. Mm. B, you know, I don't. I really, genuinely don't believe AI is like webisodes, nor is it like NFTs. I mean, let's we can take a more recent example. I mean, look at yeah. all the hubbub NFTs. That was only like four years ago, and right. look at that. But it's not the same, and the reason it's not the same is AI is more like the creation of the internet itself. It's not for one thing. AI and generative AI in particular has potential multiplicity of uses that we can't even foresee now. And it's something that's highly adaptable. It's not, it's not just a single tool. It is a suite of tools that can be used in so many different ways. And that's why from the very beginning, our approach to this wasn't identify this one type of AI use and, and define it. It was establish the principles that ought to be applied whenever this this technology is used current in its current iterations or as it develops and that is you know a, a informed consent for anything that uses the image voice likeness or performance of our members and fair compensation and those principles in my view can be applied not just to today's you know expected uses of ai and generative ai but to where it's going to evolve to in the future and you know like you said, you do the best you can with the information that you have. We've looked as far down this road as we can. We've consulted with experts. We've done deep thinking on it. As you mentioned, we've even tried to help generate some thinking on the part of the industry about it. Um, will we turn out to be right? I guess in five or 10 years, everyone can look back and see. But I think what's going to happen in five or 10 years, is people are going to say, this is a great example of this union looking around the curve and figuring out how to protect their members. and. Yeah 
I'll give you an example of that, which is 10 years ago, a little bit more than 10 years ago, we pivoted in our sound recordings code to focus on streaming. At that time, streaming wasn't what it is today. At that time, digital downloads were big. At that time, there was still some physical products, but we intentionally pivoted our focus in negotiations to streaming. And we gave up money in those other areas because we believed, based on all of our research and analysis, that streaming was the future. And it turns out we were right. And as a result of that, our members who work in that contract have had immense benefits year over year over year because of the deal that we negotiated 10 years ago. So, you know, is there a guarantee that we're right? No. But have we done our homework? And is this the absolute best analysis that 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 we can bring to bear to make sure that our members are protected? Yes. So I'll ask the same question I asked the Writers Guild when that strike ended. Given all the pain, what specifically did you get that wasn't being offered before the strike? Well, AI to start with. At all the, the, everything we've talked about in AI. AI was not anywhere close to where it needed to be at mm-hmm. the time of the strike of of the end of bargaining on July 12th and our strike on July 14th. Um, there were a whole host of other issues. The minimums weren't where they needed to be. The um, provisions on the streaming revenue share piece hadn't even been responded to as of the time we went on strike. Not just were we not there, they hadn't even responded to that proposal. So, uh, you know, if I just take those three big items, every one of them, none of them were there on the 14th, but there's a whole bunch of other things as well that we've negotiated since then that, um, you know, so I, I would I would tell you in all honesty, Matt, a lot of this contract came together after the start of the strike. Right. Okay. You think Bob Iger and Willow are going to invite you on the yacht for the holidays? <laughs> I I am not expecting uh, any invites from anyone <laughs> these holidays. Although you know, I, how much do they hate you? I don't know. I don't know. But I, I'll tell you what. I mean, you know, what was the mood normally in the room? Was it was it like contentious? Because the writers were pretty no. contentious. But how was the mood? In the room, I found the mood to be cordial as a general matter. Mm-hmm. Were they annoyed to be there? If they were annoyed to be there, they generally hid that very well. You know, and did Donna Langley bring donuts in the morning? Like what? Like how is how is the 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 vibe? <laughs> no, I mean we were meeting at our offices, so we took the liberty of providing you know refreshments for everybody. Sure, since sure. It was you know it was appreciated that they were coming to our office and. Uh, you know, I thought the vibe was, it was serious. I mean, it wasn't a jokey, you know, like fun vibe necessarily, but it was a uh, respectful, cordial vibe pretty much all the time. There were a few moments that got heated or intense. And, you know, back to your, to what you'd said earlier about, you know, Fran and some, some of the things that people said about her, I found Fran's presence in those meetings to be very productive. She was very good at helping to calm the waters when people would get very heated. I, I heard she lectured a lot. Some grandstanding, well, you know. I mean, I I think that's probably a matter of of opinion. Maybe sure. sometimes when someone is saying <laughs> something to you that you don't agree with, you interpret it as a lecture. When what it really yeah. is is an attempt to communicate why something's important. Right. So I think you know that's a lot of that depends on how you look at it. But to me, Fran's energy was very much encouraging of giving everyone a chance to speak uh, and trying to keep the the discourse at a level where it could really be productive. And I think most of the time it was, it just, it unfortunately didn't result in moves by the companies that got us where we needed to be as quickly as I would have liked. And um, I hope that one of the, one of the lessons that comes out of this experience overall is 
that when there are tough times in labor relations in this industry, that having long periods of time where no one is talking to each other is not a good approach. Um, we should keep talking. If a union goes on strike, that should not be a reason for there to be no conversations for months. That just shouldn't happen because what's happening is people's livelihoods are being harmed by that. And you you can't make someone talk to you, but I think all, everyone in the industry, uh, you know, including the studios and streamers, owes it to the community and to their workers to keep those dialogues going. And I hope that what comes out of this, one of the things that maybe comes out of this is that in the future, if there are um, challenging labor moments, that we keep the conversation going so that we can get over them, get past them, instead of having the kind of just roadblocks that we had this time around. All right, I will let you go. I'm very happy the strike is over. Uh, very much looking forward to the speech that Fran is going to give at your victory party. Uh, I'm sure <laughs> it's going to be very theatrical. Can they create an Oscar category for best performance in a post-strike victory party? I think they. I think they absolutely should. <laughs> maybe we need to. Maybe we need to talk to somebody about that. We'll do, or you could do it at the SAG Awards this year. Just have her give maybe the same so. speech. It's a great idea. Yeah. We'll, have to, we'll, have to, we'll have to give that some real consideration. All right, Duncan. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Matt. It's good talking to you. All right, that's the show for today. No call sheet. So I want to thank my guest, Duncan Crabtree Ireland, and no Craig today. So I want to thank our producer, Jesse Lopez, and I want to thank you. We will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.